How's it going, everyone? Today we have a very special guest, Thomas G. Waits, who you should recognize from the iconic uh, The Warriors movie as Fox, as Windows from maybe my favorite movie, The Thing, which with this whole pandemic going on, it's probably a perfect, uh, we don't know who's what, who has what, who's got the clue. Uh, he's worked with everyone from Al Pacino, he's played Al Capone, he has his own acting studio, singer, just incredible background, history, and uh, glad to have you on here, Thomas. Thank you, John. So let's get the, uh, right off the bat, I know with your acting studio and stuff and COVID restrictions, New York City is, like Los Angeles, has been really affected by this with uh, the shutdowns and what can you do, what people could meet. So how has that been for you personally? And then with students, their mental health and kind of, what they, they're trying to jump in an industry that is obviously really tough to get into. So when a pandemic happens and they can't go to classes and stuff, how's that kind of you don't see changes for the students? Well, that's an interesting point because, you know, uh, one would think that if you're not already deterred by the degree of difficulty involved in becoming an actor, then you lock down several of your major cities. <laughs> There's no theater. I was in the middle of a hit off-Broadway play um, when, you know, March 12th, they said, don't come back. You know, uh, sold out run. Um, you know, I do a lot of theater. Uh, how it's affected, I'll start with how it's affected me. I got COVID right away. Okay. And this may be more than revealing about who I am, but when I heard about it, I'm a big, and you can relate to this, I'm really into physical training, you know. Yes, um, yep. You know, I run between four and six miles every day. Uh, I do a lot of working out, and I was like, um, and I do Vim Hoff. I don't know if you know about that guy and his breathing I follow him, and I've actually started this past year. I love the cold weather, and so I went down a rabbit hole with, like, these guys who do, like, these ice baths and kind of reset their body. And I follow him down on social media, and I love it. The shirt It's great. Yeah. So as soon as I heard about the virus, I was like, bring it. Because where I come from, outside of Philadelphia, when somebody was going to, when they were looking for you, <laughs> you didn't go hiding or pretending like they weren't there. You either said, okay, come on, let's, let's get this over with. Or you found the nearest tree and hid out there. Right. And uh, so I have a mentality of, uh, I would say to a certain extent, uh, embracing conflict if it's coming my way. I don't like conflict. There's enough conflict in the world, and I like conflict on the stage and on film, but in my life, I prefer peace, you know. Right. But I was like, if you're out there, virus, come and get me. And sure enough, I got my wish, and I thought I was going to die. Man. I was 103 fever. I felt like Mike Tyson had punched every joint in my body. I crawled from that couch to the bedroom. Uh, and my, I have 
the two most amazing children, Sam and Michaela. My daughter, who makes seventeen fifty an hour, called her girlfriends in New York to make sure her dad had groceries lined up in the hallway so I didn't have to go out. Uh, I'm very blessed in that regard. Um, anyway, I got through it and I resumed my classes on Zoom. And of course, my class went from 25 people to five. Right. It is a daunting task to teach something like acting on Zoom. You know, it's not history. It's not science. It's it's visceral. You know, you got to be able to feel. Right. I got to be able to feel the truth from you, you know. And you have to. Oftentimes it involves a great deal of directing, which means you know, I have to get up and say, okay, look now. When you cross here, this is what you're trying to do, and so on. But this frame restricts us, and uh, so it became problematical and difficult, and I lost a lot of my wonderful, talented students. And then October came, and I thought, well, let's give it a try. The numbers have gone down. Let's go. So we went back into the theater and all of a sudden people started coming out of the woodworks. The class started building up again. It's a great acting class. I mean, it, you get the method and you get classical training combined. You get film, you get, you get it all for a fraction of what you would pay for it in a college. Right. And you'll know more, trust me. Uh, but then someone got COVID. And he didn't get it in my class. He got it from the school where he teaches in New Jersey. So everyone got mad at me. And they're all like, especially the older people, they're like, if I get sick, you know, I'm like, I don't need this in my life. Right. Let's go back to Zoom. So it's um, affected the mental health of everyone. But this is what I have to say about it. If you have not used this time that we've been locked down, to learn something new. I, from March until May, I either learned or wrote a new song every day. I wrote a, in two screenplays, one of which I'm gonna shoot in May that I raised the fund for funding for myself. And, you know, I read everything from Camus to Tolstoy to uh, Henning Mankell. You know, I yeah. love uh, that kind of, uh, uh, Nordic fiction, I would call it. And, um, you know, and therefore got a great opportunity to improve myself. You know, I was just telling my agent, my manager, actually, David Gus, uh, because I'm up for a job. And I said, you know, and then it looks good. And I said, you know, I hope it works out because I've been working so hard on myself during this time. I'll get a chance to carry that over in front of the screen. And that improvement, John, right. that improvement on oneself reflects, it comes through your very skin. You know, if you're depressed or, you know, a lot of people develop problems with alcohol and drugs and pot and, you know, even I at one point couldn't sleep during the pandemic. So I tried smoking pot, not a good idea. Not a good <laughs> idea for me, not good for me. Right. Everyone's different. I'm much better off being completely clean. Uh, 
And, you know, I've had an opportunity to, and I live alone, so I've had an opportunity to really get to know who Tom is. You know, who is this guy? Writing in my diary, reading. Of course, I get a lot of support from friends on the phone and other people going through the same thing. And Right. Uh, I see it <clears throat> very much as Mother Nature. First of all, I'm vegetarian. So Mother Nature's way of saying, stop eating animals. You don't need to. Leave them the freak alone. Have you ever seen a cow up close? They're yes. the most peaceful, beautiful animals you've ever seen. What did that guy say? Meat is murder. And I think the same thing is true with chickens and turkey. And I just don't believe in it and I don't do it. And I think that this was Mother Nature's way of saying, okay, you've poisoned the water. You've poisoned the air. You're continuing to abuse these uh, organic creatures that I've, you know, uh, spread around the earth. Uh, I, I've got to, I've got to take you to task. I want the air clean for a while. No flights. Turtles it, came it, out of the water. It was crazy. The weather, like the skylines and the oceans and the water, like everything. Oh my like, god! Like almost, like you said, Mother Earth being like, this is the reset we need just for the planet. The reset. Good word. Precisely. So if you're on the stage or doing theater or you're in front of the camera for a movie or you're playing guitar in front of a live crowd, is there a different mental preparation you have to do for those those type of arts or is you kind of do the same thing no matter what you're doing? It's all concentration. Whether you're acting or singing, whether you're doing it for the camera or on stage and, and I've performed in front of some large, you know, 2,500 people at a time. It all requires focus and concentration. And what that means is the ability to block out everything else going on in your life. You know, you fight with your girlfriend or you're angry with your brother or your landlord, whatever the problems are, you got to go. The only thing that exists is the movie. The only thing that's happening is this moment right now. And that's the great and wonderful thing about being a performer is you better be present or guess what? We're going to watch you. One of the interesting things to answer your question, there's no difference. It's all concentration. Preparation is concentration. Concentration is preparation. You know, the great Anthony Hopkins is a, one of my many heroes, and I believe people should have heroes. Um, when he was doing Equus on Broadway, he came to speak to us at Juilliard. And uh, at the time, I guess he was a heavy smoker and the character was a smoker on stage, you know. Uh, he would sit and stare at the ashtray without blinking for minutes at a time. <laughs> Just staring. And I know what he's doing. He's getting himself prepared. Because you, you don't know what's going to happen out there on that stage. You right. Know, I could tell you stories of things that have happened to me on stage. You, you wouldn't believe. It seems like there's a different... With movies, you're kind of 
hey, cut, let's do it again. But when you get on that live stage, whether it's a concert or Broadway, like, it's real in the flesh. Like, you, it's so pure, the art form, I think. That it's like, like, you said it best, like, you don't know what's going to happen. And it's, I love the fact that I could go to, say, uh, go see Wicked or The Lion King on Broadway or something else. You're kind of like, man, this is, these people are in the moment. And it's it's very there's something very powerful about that. Well, you know, great actors like Pacino and Hopkins, and they always work out on the stage. You know, Al could do a different movie every month of the year if he wanted. Yet he'll stop his career to go and work on a very difficult play like Merchant of Venice or Richard the Third, which I did with him, or American Buffalo, which I did with him. And and plays take a lot of time, you know four weeks of rehearsal, four weeks of previews, then you open, then critics, and it's it's a it's sort of like going to war. But so in many ways is doing a film. Because it's not like that. It's not like uh when you're doing law and order, you can forget your lines and go, uh cut, I'm sorry, I can't remember. I mean you can do it once. You know, maybe you can do it twice. But these things are very expensive to operate. Right, time and money. Hundreds of thousands of dollars. I mean, I was doing an episode of Homeland, and I sat there in the freezing bitter cold, and I counted there were 162 people involved in making one five-minute scene between costumes and special effects and cameramen and grips and gaffers and production assistants and extras that they needed 162 people to shoot five minutes of film you know so you don't that's why the stage actor is so much more well equipped and well prepared to do film and another thing that people never speak of which is people you know are under this assumption that if you're on stage, they have you, I mean, if you're on film, they have you mic'd so that you don't have to articulate or project. You know, that's not true. You, you watch the great film actors like Harvey Keitel or Marlon Brando or, you know, uh, even De Niro and Pacino. They, they have had their training. They know how to communicate text. And, you know, um, I think it's a muscle that you have to develop a perform it's performance power that's what i would call it whether it's camera or stage screen whatever it's you have to engage in performance power love that yeah so one of the things that kind of research you a little bit i always i've always noticed your name very familiar to a tom waits the the singer and one of my favorite artists and I didn't realize that you guys had met each other. And the reason why you put the G in your name is to not only differentiate between yourselves, but almost give him homage that he could carry that name. Now, how did that kind of come about? It seems very, very peculiar. It, it is. It is peculiar. You know, the word Thomas means twin, by the way. Did I know that? Uh, I first met Tom at West Side Story on Broadway. 
uh, he was in the audience, I was in the audience, and I guess it was before he decided to record Somewhere There's a Place for a, uh, which he does brilliantly, magnificently, and I agree with you, he's one of my favorite musicians of all time. I think he's a genius, really. Um, and I see this strange man standing in the lobby. And I go, that's the other Tom Williams. And at this particular time, I was a very hot, you know, I was under option to Paramount, very hot, young. Anyway, I go up to him and I go, excuse me, is your name Tom Waits? And he goes, he just shakes his head up. You know, and I go, me too. And then he looks at me with this fire in his eyes. And he goes, so you're the guy out there impersonating me. <laughs> and we went out after the show and we had drinks at Jimmy Ray's and we talked and he was the friendliest, funnest guy. And he really opened up to me. You know, I was so taken. Well, anyone would be. I mean, he isn't the success that he is for no reason. He's remarkable. I mean, extraordinary. And and we bonded and he gave me his number and he said, look, I'm moving to New York. You know, I, I, I'm, I just turned 30. And that was in 1978 or so. And I'm going to move to New York and I need to reinvent myself as an artist. And I said, that's cool, man. Uh, I have a loft downtown. You know, let's get together. So I think on two different occasions, we met at the local bar, the Broom Street Bar. We had a couple of beers and then he came upstairs and he listened. <laughs> I'm so embarrassed. He listened to my song. I wasn't very good then. Uh, I'm much better now, but it shows you, it, it's emblematic of his character. He sat there so patiently. You know, here he was, this guy that could play circles around me, okay? Right. He could sing circles around me. He could write circles around me. I, I'm not even in the same galaxy as this guy. Yet he sat there quietly, patiently listening to bad song after bad song after bad song, shaking his head. But then I played one song on the piano that started like that. And he went, I like that. That sounds like an old sailor song. You ought, you ought to record that. So that gave me a lot of confidence, you know. Right. And then we met again. And I said, you know, Tom, what are we going to do? I mean, I'm Tom Waits. You know, I, I was in the union first, uh, but I used Thomas. And he's like, well, I don't know. It's, it's not like my name. It's not like my name is Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> I mean, this guy is, he is really... Uh, you, you you realize you're in the presence of someone that is just from another right. frequency. And so I said, well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to use the, and we sat there, we had this whole discussion. He's like, uh, you know, well, 
I said, I'm thinking of using Tommy G weights. And he goes, I like that. Tommy G, it sounds like a boxer, you know. And so I fought. Then finally, I just settled on Thomas G. Waits. I did one movie, a piece of garbage that I don't want to name, where I used T. G. Waits to try to help. But you know, it's really been problematic and at times uh, disheartening for me. And uh, you know, one time. I wrote a play and it got published and they sent the check to Tom. <laughs> Believe me, it wasn't for that much money. He's way more successful than I am. And his wife wrote me a note and sent me the check and the play. And she went to, I read your play. I liked it very much. She said, people come up to Tom and Blockbuster and they tell him how great he was in NYPD Blue. He's never... <laughs> <laughs> and rather than argue, he just stands there and shakes his head. <laughs> so that's my experience with Tom. I, I haven't seen him in, since the 80s. And I can tell you one thing. He, he's one of the kindest, you know, gentlest people I've ever known or met. And... Uh, it was a real pleasure the few times that I hung out with him. I mean, if you're going to have somebody have your name, well, you, it may as well be him, you know. Right. I love that. Bruce Springsteen. So <laughs> in, in 1979, The Warriors comes out, and it has kind of like this cult following. But years down the road, it's kind of became bigger than itself, one of those movies that everyone loves or has to watch at least once. So did you realize, or at what point, in your lifetime, did you realize that that role of Fox, that movie itself, would be bigger than just a regular film? Uh, I didn't. I, it wasn't until the 2000s that people started calling me and asking me to sign autographs for it. I, um, I'm not proud of that part of my life. I, I gave the director a very difficult time. I was, I was kind of like a, a poor kid that all of a sudden made a bunch of money and let it all go to his head. And uh, I wasn't easy to work with. And aside from that, I, I think I didn't do very good work in the movie. And, you know, Walter was under a great deal of pressure because his last two films hadn't done as well as he would have liked, I think. And the studios were leaning and breathing down his neck. And I was just a pain in the ass, really. And so he fired me. And rightly so. Uh, and then I was lucky enough to get Injustice for All with Al Pacino. And they, my agent called me and he said, you know, they want to know where you want your name in the credits now. Because it was supposed to be Thomas Waits in The War. Oh, right. Uh, and then obviously Michael Beck, you know, took my role. And, and I love Mike. And, you know, it couldn't happen to a nicer person. He's a good man. Uh, but I watched the movie and I guess I was still, you know, going through, I was 23, 24. Right. Still going through that kind of rebellious, you know, like, I'm mad at the world and it's all your fault, you know, instead of looking at myself. So I said, you know, this will really piss them off. Take my name off the credits. Wow. Yeah. I should write a book. What not to do to be successful. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, I think, <laughs> so I, I guess I never, hearing you say that, I've never really watched that movie. Not, so when you watch the movie, I have a DVD came out. Like, I don't know how they updated them or whatever, but, or a Blu-ray. Your name's still in the credits though, right? No. So really? Yeah, huh. permanently. But you've actually since kind of re reconciled with Walter Hill though, right? I've made amends with Walter, yes. Which means, you know, that I've reached out to him and apologized right. and asked if I could do anything to make up for the harm that I caused. I was, you know, drinking and smoking pot and, you know, doing all sorts of things that I really shouldn't have been doing. That in any series, oh, come on. I mean, artists. Right, I, I hear, yeah, correct. The 80s, 70s, you know. <laughs> who who wasn't high? You know what I mean? That would really have been the question. And who wasn't getting wasted? I, I would like to there wasn't a single person around me that wasn't. Right. Uh but nonetheless, I was in the wrong and you know, and I I really my dream before this game of life is over is to someday get to work with Walter and try to make recompense. That'll probably never happen. Right. So you know. in, in that movie, when your character gets thrown on the tracks, was that written in the script or was that kind no. of Walter? Oh, so that's Walter's way of, okay, if he wants to leave or he, we have to get rid of him, we're yeah. going to, because the whole time, the beginning of the movie, your character is like the one I would follow to a war, like street smart, stoic. Right. He's not a douche. He's, he's just a very, he's like a very smart. good person. Right. And when that happens, now when you hear it say it, that's why it was so shocking. Because I'm kind of like, wow, this is the So guy he fired me, and then he went to the stunt coordinator, Craig Baxley, and he said, get rid of him. I don't care how you do it. Just get rid of him. So they used a grip, and they put a curly red wig on him and shot it from behind and tossed him in front of the train. The grip actually lived in my neighborhood for years and uh, is still working. Um, and it, it's a shame because I think it, affected the movie uh, i think it the pacing stopped changed after that yeah yeah i mean you know look he's a he's a very successful a-list director for a reason he captured that look and that feel uh like nobody else and i was a rambunctious rebellious big mouth kid that wasn't doing very good work bottom line it's cool that you're able to say that about yourself. I think there's a lot of people that can't own up to past mistakes or own up to the fact that they, maybe they are a jerk. But the fact that you're, that's, that's really cool. That's awesome to hear that stuff. Well, you know, it, it forced me to go into therapy, psychotherapy. I became a black belt in karate. Uh, I did not know that. Yeah. That's awesome. I, I mean, I don't practice. I haven't practiced in 30 years, but it that rejection or that firing triggered something in me that said hey dude if you want to do this for a living you best get your act together right so i studied with a very tough sensei sensei kishi and kyokushinkai karate which is a very hard style of karate and you you have to do kumite you have to fight every day so there i was this privileged <laughs> white boy getting my ass kicked every day i got humble quick and then after that, you know, right, it still right. took me a long time. You know, I became an alcoholic. I'm recovered now, but I, 
I got other movies and I was drinking, not on the set, but after the job. And I've, I've done a lot of things that I have remorse over. There's a difference between remorse and regret. Remorse is a good thing. You, you must feel badly if you've harmed others, especially harming yourself in your own career. But regret is useless. And that's why we have 12 steps to kind of get this yep. off your chest and go through a process to say and go to the people that we've harmed and say, look, you know, I messed up. Can I do anything to make up for what I did wrong? And uh, I've gone through that. And, you know, we're probably going to get into talking to about Pacino uh, soon because I got to, to work with him so much, you know, uh, both in the movie and Justice for All. And, the play Richard III in the play American Buffalo, which I did for over a year, a three character play. And Al insisted that he and I share the dressing room. So <laughs> we got to know each other very well. And he was the first one to say, you like to drink, don't you? And he didn't say it like, you've got a problem. Not judgmental, right. Just, you like to drink. You know? Of course, in denial. Well, sometimes, you know, socially, yeah. all the bullshit. Saturday night. Uh, yeah, Saturday night. So every night, Saturday night. <laughs> and and it's five o'clock somewhere in the world. But, uh, in 2015, they released that kind of documentary of you guys riding the subway train again. And then you kind of hinted about like the conventions of the fans. Has there ever been anything weird at these conventions where people are like, they can't differentiate between you and the character? Because... I have a sense that there's a lot of people that think they are these characters or, and I've heard stories of stalkers and stuff like that. And some of these conventions where people are kind of weird fan requests and stuff, but have you had any weird type of stuff mm, with fans? Yeah, I've had some, Oh, oh yeah. I had some, not that I'm like any, you know, lady killer, but I had a girl in Germany that, <laughs> fell in love with me and i went out my uh apartment lobby and there she was she had flown here from germany and started telling people she was my wife <laughs> and she was 21 and i was like in my 50s wow and she was very attractive too but i was like listen honey you, you this is not good for you and it's not good for me. And, you know, I don't take advantage of people. Uh, I try not to. So, yeah, I've had some weird experiences. It is kind of cool, though, to have these fans kind of show their appreciation towards. Oh, I love my fans, man. I get, I, I have something here I got to sign and send out. Uh, I'm so grateful to have anything, to have one person, right. one person like your work and believe in you. If you can get one person to like you and believe in you, then you can get two. And if you can get two, you can get 22. And I love that. I, I've been very lucky. A lot of people have, well, I work really hard. Right. You know, I, I don't want to say a master teacher but i've mastered shakespeare i've done a lot of professional shakespeare and any actor will tell you that if you can do shakespeare and do it well 
you got to be pretty good to do that. Uh, and I've performed in theaters all over the country in Cleveland and Iowa, you know, South Carolina. I mean, I've performed in places and, and I've performed in church basements with two people in the audience. You know, I say this all the time. I, I was a movie star at 23 and I was an extra by the time I was 33. Uh, that's a humbling and denigrating experience to go through, mostly due to my drinking. I've leveled all that out now. You know? I've straightened out the ship, and and I'm I turned sixty six today, so um, awesome. I, I'm going for a hundred and one. Perfect. <laughs> so my favorite movie, or I mean, I'm gonna definitely top five, um, The Thing, and what a fitting movie for this last year or so with someone coughs, you don't know if they have COVID, all this stuff. <laughs> and be, before the pandemic, I probably watched that movie once a month just because I just love, I love seeing different stuff every time. And so I guess my first question for you is when you get that script from Carpenter and, um, and you're looking at, do you know, does he film it, that movie in a way of you don't know who actually is the thing? Or do you, as you because I, I was kind of curious because the reactions to that and the the seeds, it almost looks like you guys weren't sure who was actually going to get affected next. And I don't know if that was intentional with the script or it's just the way he filmed it. Yeah. You know, John wanted to create a sense of paranoia. He made it clear from the beginning that he wanted this sense of like. Dread. Who are you? I mean, who really are you? I mean, I know you, but... Right, right. Do I know you? And John is a great director. He's a great director because he's a good person. Uh, not that Walter isn't or any of the other directors. I mean, Norman Jewison's also a very good director, but... Uh, John, he was a leader. And he knew what he wanted, and he knew how to get it. And uh, he created an atmosphere where it was just such fun. You just went to work every day going, like, can I possibly be getting paid to have this much fun? And then... You know, sadly for John, it was uh, butchered by the critics, and he lost a lot of uh, commercial opportunities as a result of the reception. By Which the is critics. crazy. Crazy. And then years went by, people started to realize how brilliant it was. It's a good film. Incredible movie. Yeah. So how much control director. did you have as Windows? Like, so he writes the character, so, okay, this is Windows. Thomas or G. Waits is going to play his character. Here's kind of the trajectory. And Harry Thomas, can no. you do your thing? No, no, it isn't like that with John at all. He doesn't. Okay. He doesn't interfere. He doesn't. He casts people and he leaves you alone. Wow. He leaves you alone. He figures he did his job by right. selecting you. Now it's on you. Um, and we're rehearsing one day, and my character's name was John Simmons. 
No, first it was Sanchez. And I'm like, <laughs> you don't look I, like I can get away with a lot of things. But Sanchez, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I'm about as Irish as Patty's Peach. So one day I, I bought these. You know, I was in Santa Monica. Listen, you know, I was a kid. I'm 26. I'm making money. I'm getting for DM. They gave us a brand new 1981 Ford Mustang to drive around. I was having a ball. <laughs> and, uh, a lot of beautiful women in LA. So um, I found these green sunglasses on the boardwalk and I started wearing them and I wore them to rehearsal and I was rehearsing. And I said, John, I want everybody to call me Windows from now on. Wow. And he goes, <laughs> he dragged on a cigarette, scratches his chin. All right. Okay, everybody, from now on, we call Tommy Windows, okay? Let's go on to the next scene. So <laughs> that was how the character was born. And uh, I think it's rather imaginative myself. But. It's a great character. Thank you. And so, as an actor, well, that movie would stand withstand the practical effects of the creature effects. Is it difficult for you as an actor to be on set with something that's so practical with, with all the, the crazy effects and stuff going on? Is there a lot of downtime, it would seem like? A lot of downtime. Okay. Which is why, you know, the great, late, great Wilford, A. Wilford Brimley, the greatest storyteller in the world would keep us captivated whilst doing rope tricks. Thank you very much. That only a real cowboy could do. Uh, and Kurt Russell, you know, just he'd been he'd been in the business his whole life. He knew this. So we told stories and we talked and we laughed. And one time there was this gorgeous girl walking across the Universal parking lot and they're like, Waits, waits, I'll give you 50 bucks if you can get a date with her. So I go running up to her and I'm like, and I, I, I can't say her name. Her first name is Jeannie, but I'm like, excuse me. Anyway, I got a date with her. So I made like $250 that day. We had such fun during the downtime. You know, it was really, it was like it's one of the highlights of my life, really. But and the story that I want to tell you before we go, the most important story, I think, of everything, um, is we flew to Anchorage to do the exterior shots. And then we had to take a bus from Anchorage and six-hour drive up these really dangerous, narrow cliffs and over them into a tiny mining town called Hyder, Alaska. Now, these roads couldn't fit two cars on them, let alone a bus full of <laughs> actors <laughs> and a crew that were partying our asses off. And in the beginning, it's all like, yeah, well, we got music playing, we're fucking around. A whiteout hits. Jeez, how fitting. And we're climbing up these and I mean, you look down, and for thousands of feet, there's nothing but rock. And now the guy can't see two feet in front of him. It's not like we can turn back and go to a hotel. We're in the middle of nowhere, man. Jeez. So we're going up, uh, and Kurt, 
you know, being the smart <laughs> leader that he was, he moves up to the front of the bus and he's talking to the bus driver and he's like, this is really bad. The guy's like, I know. And then the bus goes over the cliff and the left rear axle is hanging off. And we're frozen in fear. And Kurt like becomes the character, you know, he's like, Okay, first of all, everyone stay completely still. Who's furthest in the back? I am, I said, with fear. <laughs> and he goes, all right, Tommy, get on your hands and knees and crawl to the front of the bus slowly. Nobody else move. And one at a time, we crawled out the bus, and then Kurt had us push us back on the road and this is before cell phones before walkie talk but no no communication with home base and we arrive in Hyder, alaska at 5 a.m sun's coming up and there's john carpenter standing outside waiting for his men to arrive shaking each one of our hands as we get off the bus i love that he was just waiting for his yeah. His, his platoon. No, it's him. He probably put that snow squall in there to see how you guys got there. <laughs> and you, you were actually classmates with Keith David, though, correct? Yeah, Keith was a year behind me in Juilliard, and we were really crazy. We had a – we were wild. Juilliard is a very strict, regimented school. It has a 7% acceptance rate. You are in class from 9 in the morning with a few breaks until sometimes 11 at night, five nights a week. But Keith and I managed to get to the stairwells to smoke a joint now and again and go into classes stoned out of our minds. And we had a lot of good laughs together. And he's a good pal of mine. And I'm very proud and happy for him that he's become so successful. I think he's going to become a minister. Yeah, I read that too. So kind of, like the, kind of segue to the last part here. In terms of your legacy, you've actually helped, or Alfred Belita's been through your class, Vanessa Shaw, people like that. Is part of your legacy seeing people that go to your classes and you kind of help mentor become successful? Yeah, well, first of all, Alfred Molina came to my class because his wife was my student, great actress named Jill Gascoigne, who just passed away. And Alfred was kind of doing it just for his wife. He really didn't need me. But he did do Edmund from King Lear for me, and I did direct him, and he took my notes, and, uh, you know, I called him and asked, I said, is it okay if I put my your name on my resume? And he said, of course, absolutely. I took your class. I think he studied for three, two or three months. Then he got, then I actually cast him in a play in LA, but then he got a big movie and couldn't do it. Uh, great actor, Alfred Molina, a great, great actor. Um, and Vanessa Shaw, I think she was with me for quite a few years. She and, and she was dating Kurt and Goldie's 
was Goldie's son, Oliver Hudson, but Kurt was his stepdad. And um, Vanessa and Oliver would come to class together. So yeah, they studied with me for quite a while. And uh, she's one of the most beautiful women ever created on planet Earth. Um, and Oliver is a very talented kid. I think he's done very well in TV, from what I understand. Uh, Vinny Pastor is another student. He was Vinny Pastor is my first student. He became big pussy on The Sopranos. Oh yeah, he was the yeah. coat guy, good fellas too, that pushes the coats to the free. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Um, yeah, I get a lot of success out of helping people. I am a good mentor, you know, because I'm constantly working on myself to improve myself. That, that's what a teacher does. A teacher pushes you past where you think you can go. And I have a proclivity for that uh, because I push myself very hard. And... Um, yeah, yeah. And I have a lot of other students, too, that have worked and gotten jobs and gotten gigs because I know the work and I know how to do the work and I know how to communicate. How to... Anyone can tell you that scene doesn't work, but it takes a real teacher, director to say that scene doesn't work. Try this and this and it will work. Watch. Like my dad was a great mechanic. He fixed the car. OK, when it wasn't running, he repaired it so that it ran perfectly. Right. I consider myself the same. I I know how to improve the quality of the work. So before I let you go, uh, what kind of projects you got coming on or coming up, obviously, with the pandemic and stuff still kind of filter out? Where can, yeah, we, find you, um, where can we find you on social media, uh, stuff like that? I I'm. I am pinned. What that means is I'm on hold for uh, a role in the new Law and Order organized crime. Awesome. Well, Stabler, Detective Stabler. Yeah, uh, I play a priest. I haven't gotten the job yet, so if I disappoint anyone by not getting the job, forgive me, but my manager messaged me today and said they're going to decide but you're heavily pinned. What that means is don't take any other work without telling us first. Right. Uh, and then my big real project is I've written a screenplay called Target and I've raised the money myself and uh, it's going to be a mini micro budget. It's about a, a, a man in his 50s going through a raging midlife crisis whilst being married to a gorgeous model and uh it's a post-pandemic sexual comedy and it will laugh you right into bed <laughs> <laughs> i love that all right i gotta run my kids are waiting awesome. for me i will uh thank you for everything today thomas and uh be safe and we'll keep stay in touch hey john please thanks and uh if there are any of our troops out there listening to them please let them know bless them and anyone else, for that matter, do kind things for everyone everywhere, especially the people you don't like. See you later. Thank you, Thomas. Bye. The Podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. 
I'm John Gay from Jag and Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundle from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts. Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network. Do, did, will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Crier Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holawati from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Crier Media Network.